Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today I am joined by Darren Lipscomb, who is the CEO at Ferretly. And so in the wake of Jack Teixeira's leak of classified CIA documents on the war in Ukraine, many are starting to criticize the security clearance process that we know today. While personal vetting has gone through some major overhauls in the last couple of years to manage the cleared candidate pool and the backlog that we saw in the late 2010s, the process is not perfect, nor probably will it ever be due to changing norms, advances in technology, and along with our topic today, social media. So Ferretly is an AI-powered social media background screening tool, and it is used for a stronger workplace culture. And so if private companies or individuals can collect this information online, then it would stand to reason that the government should be able to leverage the same information to create a more complete picture of who you are in order to determine your level of trustworthiness to protect national security. And so today we are going to discuss just that. So Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Katie. Glad to be here. The government signed Seed 5 way back when, which created a framework for federal agencies to use social media as they implemented their own private monitoring programs. And so in many cases, the policy still hasn't extended beyond pilots or possibilities. And that's not to say that social media couldn't come up in the course of a background investigation. But in cases thus far, the social media aspect has generally been surfaced by human means versus mass monitoring. So social posts get reported and then disseminated to leadership, for instance. So tell us your thoughts on implementing more of an AI-powered approach in the clearance process. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I think that was a security directive from ODNI back, I think it was 2016 under James Clapper, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was, so that they issued a set of guidelines and uh, there was a congressional hearing right after that. I haven't seen much dissension, to be honest, from you know the agencies as well as Congress. And, and they started a pilot program is what came out of that, I think, in late 2016 or early 2017. And they did some, you know, captured some metrics, uh, one of, a couple of which caught my attention. One was that you know, out of all the cases they did process under this pilot program, 28% uh, of those cases, they had adverse information. And that's in line with what we're seeing across all of our organizations. And and we do private as well as public safety organizations across the U.S. and and really around the world. And we're seeing closer to 33%, but that that was a number that caught my attention and I felt like it was in line. The bigger thing that sort of grabbed my attention was the cost. Uh, so when you're doing only using only humans, which is is quite daunting, it, it ended up being three hundred seventy five dollars per case. You know, I don't know how many total SF eighty six applicants we have a year. It's probably um, around a million. I would I would imagine, but uh, you know that gets to be a pretty big number if you're trying to do this with human analysis analysis alone. So I, you know, I think AI. You know, one area is certainly the price. I think we're you know, by a factor of 10 almost, AI can bring that cost down. But I think the more important takeaway is it gives you a more consistent and thorough approach than human analysts alone. 
So that that that's kind of how we saw we, we we think of it in terms of this human in the loop. Let the AI do the heavy lifting, right? Provide that consistency across all those different social media platforms that you're trying to analyze. And really, they they tried to do this at ICE as well. So and uh, or not, I shouldn't say tried. They did. They issued a hundred million dollar blanket purchase agreement to SRA International in 2019. Um, and it was a human-only approach as well. And that was to vet all visa applicants. I'm not sure where that stands today. I think it's sort of put on pause and under review. But yeah, I, I don't know how you do this with a human-only approach. That that doesn't seem uh, bright, especially with uh, some of the AI technologies we have today. Yes, that, that makes total sense. And so I know I'm a former recruiter, and so I know that we've seen that AI and HR has been subject to some discrepancies or discrimination in the hiring process. And I think, you know, the moral of the story there is, like you said, let the AI do the heavy lifting, but, you know, have some sort of human component. I also read an interesting story recently. An eating disorder support group replaced its helpline with an AI tool, and the bot was actually taken offline after it began to offer weight loss advice. So let's talk about sort of that elephant in the room. Could there be any implications with AI-powered social media monitoring as a part of the personnel vetting process and maybe how to combat some of those discrepancies or discrimination? Yeah, I mean, I I think there there are exceptions, right, out there, and it tends to get overblown in the media. But um, a lot of this sort of was born out of this uh, facial analysis for video interviews, and it sort of had a racial bias to it. So, but I think it's been somewhat, overall, it's been somewhat overblown uh, in terms of, well, AI has just reinforces biases. I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. And, and I think if you look at the counter argument, you know, let's say we're processing 15 million visa applicants or maybe just a million security clearance applicants a year. You know, think about the, the human uh, workforce required to do that and think about their individual biases that might seep into those evaluations. So that, you know, the counter argument is much, much, much worse in my mind. Not just the you know ability for humans to miss things, uh, we're very fallible, but you know AI really gives us that consistency across all the subjects that are being evaluated. So, you know, it, it really actually it, the net positive is it it helps to remove bias. But again, I go back to the human in the loop. You know, you you want the AI to do the heavy lifting. You know, go out, look at all those social media posts, those likes, those shares, and those images that are being you know, and give us uh, something that tell us what we, sh- what a human should be looking at. Right. And then, and then let the human decide what's accurate and what's not and to help reduce those false positives. Sure. And so social media in today's culture is quite complicated. And so, you know, I mentioned in my intro that the security clearance process, aside from, you know, trusted workforce 2.0 and continuous vetting, which obviously this kind of touches, it hasn't gone through major overhauls, which, you know, in the last 50 to 60 years, the human population it has changed so much. We're very dynamic. And so kind of thinking in a hypothetical scenario with the security clearance process today operating under the 13 adjudicative guidelines, you know, allegiance to the U.S., foreign influence or preference, sexual behavior, personal conduct, finances, alcohol, drugs, psychological conditions, criminal conduct, handling protected information, so on and so forth, social media touches quite a few of those. 
And so in a perfect world where the federal government and other entities are on board with maybe some of these changes with social media being more of a part of the process, would this be, in your opinion, an added adjudicative guideline or kind of nestled in with one of those original 13? Really, the short answer is no. And I, I, you know, social media screenings, it's going to overlap with all of those, all those 13 adjudicated guidelines, you know, alcohol, drug use, emotional well-being. Ultimately, you're using this to, to assess suitability of the candidate uh, by looking at or, or make a determination on their character, right? Uh, so I think rather than being added as a new adjudicative guideline, it should be incorporated as part of the criminal check, if you will, and weighed against these existing guidelines. In fact, I'm pretty sure that seed five is what it directed was you, you can use social media screen, but you have to follow. It's only for these 13 adjudicated guidelines. I, you know, I, you're right, though. You made a point about, you know, our populations change. Well, certainly we have, you know, billions of people online and, and people spending more time online than ever. Uh, so it's really kind of silly not to be evaluating the digital persona or the online conduct of the applicant at this, this stage. Well, and I know that we've certainly seen that with some of these cases where, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. like, oh, if we would have went back and checked on a few things, maybe we could have caught this before it became a huge issue. One of the processes, continuous evaluation, which 100% of clearance holders are enrolled in, was, you know, a way to have those automated checks to kind of, you know, check in on those things and where self-reporting is obviously a big component of that. And so within continuous evaluation, social media may be an aspect. And so I did want to note here that the government's definition of social media is pretty broad and the cyber vetting possibilities may not be endless, but as the government considers the topic, the term publicly available information is a better way to consider the websites that might be looked at. And when I'm thinking about this, just with new social media platforms coming out each year, I mean, we have social networks like Facebook or LinkedIn, and then microblogging websites, blogging forums, picture or video sharing, even music sharing, Spotify could be considered, and, you know, <laughs> dating websites, you know, it's, the list goes on and on. And so how do we get the tech to monitor all those different types of social media for as many clearance holders or applicants as we have? And is the tech there today? So you're never really going to get to be able to evaluate all the sources on the surface web or deep web for that matter, you know, in a, at least in a cost effective manner in terms of cost being time or, or money. But, um, you know, the goal is you're going to get 90% of an online presence. Uh, you can look at the most widely used platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, Facebook over 2 billion users, TikTok's over a billion now. And over 95% of the adult population in America has a social media profile on one or more of those platforms. So it's, in my mind, it's sort of like polling. You know, polling companies don't go out and poll everyone that's going to vote. Uh, they simply look at a sufficient sample size, right, to give them a, an indication of uh, where folks are leaning. So I, that's sort of how you have to look at this. Um, you're certainly not going to get every single source all the time, but you can certainly analyze enough of it uh, to get a sense for the character of that individual. Sure. And... I, I know that we're going to touch on this a, a little bit later in the conversation, but, you know, security clearance holders, when they're listening to this and, you know, when we take seed five into consideration, 
it's comments that are made publicly. And so the current policy is clear that clearance holders will not be asked to share information like passwords. Um, so, you know, you can right. keep your accounts appropriately protected and maintain, you know, just even generally as a person kind of practicing safe cyber hygiene. And so that's why I find this topic so interesting because, you know, the statements made by Tashera, for example, it didn't really outline where they were found and if they were posted under usernames only known today. Even if we had more of a robust social vetting system, it, it would be kind of difficult to find them. And so, like I said, we'll get into privacy in a moment, but I did want to touch on a recent Times article on digital blind spots within the security clearance process. I know I mentioned Tashera. We obviously have cases like Reality Winner. And so let's talk about other use cases um, regarding you know, those digital blind spots within the security clearance process. Yeah, that Time article was uh, really well written and researched, and they highlighted more of the recent leaks, but really you go back to the Navy Yard shooter was posting online in Hell of Security Clearance, right? So that was back in 2014, I believe. But Time made the made the case for the whole person concept and vetting, and that was part of the DOD study they uh, they cited with Rand Corporation in 2021. But yeah, Jack Texera was a, certainly Air National Guard. You know, he was arrested back in just April, a couple months ago, for leaking Pentagon documents about Ukraine war. And if you look at posts online that were posted publicly, they were racist, they're hateful, violent viewpoints, and, and clearly a social media screen would have detected all, if not, you know, most of that. I think though, the case that they sort of neglected, that was one of the, that they neglected to mention was, and was more egregious was Reality Winner. You mentioned HBO just did a documentary on it. I'd recommend anybody to watch that. You know, back in 2017, she was working as an NSA contractor and, and leaked an intelligence report on Russian collusion in 2016 election. What's unique about that is that her social media footprint was alive while she was serving time in prison. And we were able to run a social media report on her. And, and what came out in 30 minutes from that report, you know, it showed someone that clearly should not have been given a security clearance or had it renewed in her case. You know, it showed sympathy for the Iranian regime, hatred towards our current administration. And then, uh, you know, looking at her, her sentiment over time was, was trending down and overall negative. So, you know, speaking to her well-being and emotional state. So, you know, this is a case where cut and dry case, one of the most egregious insider threats, somebody that really shouldn't have had her security clearance renewed had they looked at the, the her Twitter profile alone. Sure. And yeah, I, I feel like it just gets so ever complicated when you're going through the security clearance process and security clearance vetting, and you're trying to determine if behavior is going to lead to unauthorized disclosure of classified information. And so taking into consideration the whole person concept and, you know, that digital persona, should that be a part of this whole person concept? So very valid conversation today. And I think it's going to continue to be the conversation, like I said, as we see more social media platforms come about as we see generations grow that have lived online since their existence. And so as we close out this conversation, and thank you, Darren, so much for joining me, I'd love to touch on the privacy piece and other matters that hiring managers 
background investigators or clearance holders themselves may be interested to know. And I, I feel like they may know the answer since users on most sites today have the option to make themselves private. But are there any constitutional rights violations here if we enter into a world of mass monitored social media accounts for clearance holders? And I know also if we do get to that place, every parent listening is going to want access to something like that. But give us your thoughts on that. Well, I, I don't like to use the term monitoring, especially mass monitoring. I don't think that's a good thing. And I think it leads to scrutinizing you know, a lot of people that are simply maybe posting grievances about one thing or another. That dragnet scenario is really unwarranted in most cases and, and just creates a lot of noise. On the other hand, a screening, which is the term we use, which is analogous to crim a criminal screening, right? Criminal background screening. And if someone's asking to be trusted with national secrets, you know, I think certainly this is justified to be able to uh, assess their public posts. You know, how do they, what are they posting about? What, how do they talk to others, individuals online? So I, I think there's a little bit of conflation or misunderstanding. Uh, social media screening sort of gets lumped into this mass monitoring and, and, and then uh, folks can bring up First Amendment rights. But really, there isn't any um, when you're looking at just what people are saying publicly. You know, people are free to express their opinions, but they're not free from necessarily the consequences of those opinions, especially because an organization has a right and a duty to assess risk to based on their own values and choose to hire or not based on that assessment. So. You know, the key is consent. So this is consensual. The individual is saying, sure, look at my public post, right? And just like you would get a consent for the individual to look at my criminal history. It's really no different. I, I would say that the government, though, should follow their own rules. The FTC, which sort of dictates for private industry, have to follow Fair Credit Reporting Act or FCRA rules. And that was created really to protect the candidate, to give them certain rights. And it ensures that the person that's reporting on that candidate is following certain procedures or processes to ensure accuracy, to make sure you get it right. And But if the organization gets it wrong, there's a process then the candidate can follow to dispute those results. So I think following their own guidelines is probably a good thing. And that's why, you know, one of the things that we, we honor is the, the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And then other, you know, international bodies, you know, that we work with as well. There's other, you know, federal rules around that. And, you know, in the UK right now, the, they're, they're mandating all school teachers. If you apply for K through 12 or university that's publicly funded, you get vetted for social media. It's mandatory. Uh, California just passed the law that said all police officers are required. So we do probably the bulk of the uh, social media vetting for police, new, new police recruits in the U.S. So, the, you know, it's this isn't an abnormal thing. I don't believe it is, though, to get back to your original question. It's not certainly not a First Amendment issue. And it's certainly others will try to argue it's a Fourth Amendment or, you know, legal search and seizure. But when you're posting publicly, that argument sort of falls flat. So anyway, I, you know, I think that's the, uh, I try to get away from the monitoring aspect. I think there are some implications there, you know, our government really shouldn't be allowed to uh, do a dragnet scrape of, you know, everybody's data. So. Sure. Well, thanks for schooling us on that. You know, 
companies are going through social media screenings and it's just a drop in the bucket in comparison to some of the other screenings or investigations that you are submitting to within the background investigation process. So it makes total sense to me. We'll see where it goes. But Darren, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on the security clearance process and your social media, you can visit news.clearancedrogs.com.